Welcome to Women Winning Divorce. I am your host, Heather Quick. I am an attorney, entrepreneur, author, and founder of Florida Women's Law Group, the only divorce firm for women by women. I love thinking big, thinking outside the box, creating creative solutions for women and empowering women to win in all aspects of their life. Our approach at Florida Women's Law Group is to provide women with a strategy to not only achieve their objectives, but win at life. I believe that what may show up as adversity is simply an opportunity to change and improve your life. In each episode, I sit down with innovative professionals and leaders who are focused on how you can be your best self before, during, and after divorce. In these conversations, we are looking at how women can win at life. I have the unique opportunity to meet women when they are at a transition period of life, but that is only the beginning to becoming your best self and winning at life on your terms. With our guests, we enjoy the opportunity to explore ways all women can win and enhance their life, no matter where they are in their journey, because divorce is just a point in life, not the end and not what defines you, rather a catalyst for your growth. Welcome to this week's episode of Women Winning Divorce. I'm Heather Quick, owner and attorney of Florida Women's Law Group. Today, I'm being joined by Christina McGee. Welcome, Christina. Thanks, Heather. It's great to be here. Well, we are just thrilled to have you. Um, uh, I think that, let me take a deep breath as I go through everything that you've done, which is so exciting. So listeners, Christina is a divorce parenting expert, author and founder of Divorce and Children. Um, also written Parenting Apart and serves as education and training director for the Split Outreach Project that recently produced two films. And additionally, she's created co-parenting specialist training program in partnership with the Mostyn Guthrie Academy. Wow, Christina, and I mean, least of not all, I mean, you're, um, you've got your master's in social work, is that correct? Yes, that is. Um, and so share with our listeners a little bit of how you got to be where you are now, because you've done a lot. Yeah, well, it certainly wasn't by design. <laughs> you know, I'm a parenting expert who's kind of coached and um, worked in this space for probably the better part of 20 years. I, I think once I passed 20, I just stopped counting. Um, but a long time, safe to say. And, you know, it was never really in my plan to be a divorce coach. You know, when I originally started out, my sites were kind of set on specializing in trauma resolution. And, um, you know, back then, I didn't realize that the trauma I would be dedicating my career to would be divorce. Right? You know, a lot of us don't think about it in that way, but it is, it is a crisis in the life of a family. And um, I have worked on, you know, how do we get through this in the best way possible? So like a lot of other people in this space, um, it was my personal circumstances that really kind of set me on this path. When I got married, I wasn't just a blushing bride, but I also became a bonus mom to two very young kids. And to be honest, I didn't have any idea what I was doing. <laughs> Even though I'm a child from a divorce myself, really the only thing I was clear about is kind of what I didn't want to do, but I wasn't very clear about what to do. And so I took that master's in social work, right? And I set on a quest for how can we make this thing work better for my bonus kids? And that's kind of where everything began. And so I started looking at resources to help us do this better much of what I found was like really vague, 
or it didn't really mesh with real life. And so I eventually started digging in and started um, teaching courses for separating and divorcing parents in my jurisdiction, because that was the judicial requirement. You file for divorce and you take a four-hour parenting class. And I was one of those people who taught that class for probably about 12 years and things unfolded from that point. Now, and you said, so where is that? Just so that our listeners know where, uh, where at least what part of the country were, were you teaching and doing that course at that time? Yeah, Houston, Texas. So I'm located right outside of Houston. I'm a Texas girl. Well, there's a, there's a lot a lot of similarities between Florida and Texas, I, I do believe, except not as many cowboy hats around here, but more yeah. <laughs> uh, But otherwise, uh, and in the law, a lot different on some things. I have a few, uh, few friends who practice in the Texas area, so I'm aware of some of the differences, but, um, you know, overall, I think this is a great topic. I am really excited to get into it with you because this week we're going to talk about, you know, parenting through divorce, building an effective parenting plan and co-parenting, which I know it sounds like a lot for our listeners, but it is a lot. And, you know, I find that, you know, for so many women, you know, who come to our, our office, how they present here at the time, you know, they're in a difficult spot because it's the beginning of the divorce or thinking about it. And it can be very overwhelming to think about how are we going to parent together? And I think you would agree there's there's a spectrum of individuals as to how well they are able to naturally co-parent when they're no longer married and some who are just don't even know where to start. Right. There's a broad range, a very broad range. And yeah. the important thing to remember is that it changes over time, right? Hopefully. So sometimes I think it yes. does a lot. I mean, hopefully, yes, I do. And I, I do share that with so many clients. Like when you're in that crisis, beginning of, of the trauma, just all of these things, it is just hopeful that emotions die down as we get some closure and move forward and that it gets a little bit easier to co-parent and you both get better, especially if you educate yourselves, right? And, mm. and have use resources out there to really help you both manage that process. Well, and I would say that even in those circumstances where you don't have a cooperative co-parent, you are in kind of that high conflict situation, there is still a lot you can do. I very much believe in the power of one, right? And so as one parent, you can make a choice and a commitment about how you want to show up for your kids and what your co-parenting values are, and you operate out of those instead of what the other parent does or doesn't do. And a big piece of that, like you already pointed out, is you know what kind of information and support are you getting to get those skills, to get that perspective that you need to really show up for your kids in a profound way? And you know, as, as important as that is, I mean, it really is the main goal, obviously, are the children, but I do have to share for our listeners, um, particularly in Florida, um, and it's pretty much, I think, you know, uh, universal, but the law really stresses here in Florida about um, the cooperativeness of the parents and, you know, maintaining that the children have a right to that, um, that frequent and, you know, continuing relationship with both parents. And, that the the courts do view here in Florida, we call it time sharing now, no longer custody, although that is what, um, you know, I use that interchangeably so often because most individuals think, okay, I want custody of my children, but the courts view it as well. They're not either one of your possessions. 
And the two of you are going to have to share that time with the children. And that is going to require some cooperation and some communication, much of which may be lacking in the marriage. So now we have to be created as divorced parents, which I think does present, can present a challenge. Well, it's absolutely a challenge. I mean, we need to redefine the relationship, right? We're going from partners to always parents, mm-hmm. right? And oh, just like because <laughs> just because the relationship ends, right? The family needs to continue. And in the beginning stages, that's really a tall order for so many parents, right? Because we're looking at ways where how can I move away from this relationship? How can I, you know, start my own family, be an independent person? And we're not thinking about it, but really parents and children, especially in the early stages are moving in very different directions. Parents are looking for ways to go from being a we to being a me. And for kids, kids are looking, how can they move in closer? You know, how can they stay connected and maintain those really important relationships in their lives? And children deserve that. They deserve to be able to be anchored in family and to have an active and engaged relationship with most parents. And I think we've come a long way um, in terms of how we're thinking about those relationships when divorce happens. You know, just using the word co-parenting is a big shift for lots of us. Um, And moving away from words like custody and visitation to time sharing and and parenting plans. But we still have a long ways to go because those ideas about what's fair and what I'm entitled to Mm -hmm. still find their way into those negotiations um, when we're trying to sort out what life is gonna look like moving forward. Absolutely. And it's so, you know, because there's the loss of that marital relationship. So there is the grieving of that. But then, you know, I know you see this too, um, and we see it all all the time. You know, you have roles within the marriage, and now those are going to change, particularly as the children are going to spend not always equal time, but it's getting closer and closer to that in the circumstance, in most circumstances where it's appropriate. Um, And I think particularly for women, and that's obviously the perspective I'm coming from, but, you know, their identity is is so Mm. tied into being the mother, the caregiver. And it's really hard because now they're like, wait, that's my identity. And now if they're going to be with their dad, who doesn't give them a bath, who doesn't make their lunch, like who doesn't, you know, I think sometimes they see it in all these ways, how that's going to be, but then who am I going to become? And I think that women in particular have a real challenge with that um, because it's the reality of where the courts are going in a lot of cases that, um, you know, the children are going to spend almost half and half time. And usually it's a 60, 40 at a minimum. So their whole identity that's been wrapped up in being the mom, the main person, it's hard. I think that's where sometimes becomes so much resistance in the co-parenting or, or, you know, sharing the information and making decisions together that they previously made, you know, to what they felt like all on their own. And right. um, I think I think that presents sometimes a really unique challenge to getting to that next step. Yeah, well, I think in some ways, because I, I speak about this quite a bit with professionals and with parents, you know, women sometimes shoot themselves in the foot, right? Because we, we, have maybe taken on that role where, I mean, let's face it, in more of situations, more often than not, women are kind of the emotional caretakers. We're the ones maintaining the families and tracking schedules and, you know, making sure the birthday parties happen and, you know, paying attention to a lot of the details. We have a certain way of being in a marriage relationship, a certain way of parenting that has to change. But I encourage 
you know, moms to think about that inexperience doesn't equal incompetence. And just because dad hasn't done those things doesn't mean dad can't learn to do those things. It's actually really important for children to be able to see both of their parents engage in those ways. The other thing is, is that when we kind of hang on to my home is going to be the primary home, I'm going to be the parent in charge, and we deprive the other parent of that opportunity, um, we also tend to get saddled with being the disciplinarian, the one who has to, you know, make sure all the homework's done. We find out, oh, dad's not helping with the homework. Dad's not packing lunches. Well, because we've kind of set up a dynamic where we're the ones, right? The other place is just a place they they spend some time, but I'm really the one who has to take care of all those things. When if we find a way to redefine our relationship and how can we each learn new skills? How can we really sink into what needs to stay the same and what needs to change when we can use a two home concept and look mm -hmm. at both places as a place that children belong? You have parents that are taking a more active role in doing all the things, right, that kids need because they feel valued. And so a lot of it is if we don't want to be the ones that are doing the lion's share of the work that are having to be the heavy with everything, then we need to rethink our position about that. And is hanging on to that identity really serving our children's best interest? Exactly. And I, I think that is just so, so well said. And, and also ultimately you as the mother, if, you know, just holding on so tight, but things are changing and it can all be a positive new change. But at first, I think it helps to have that outlook because it's going to change. And the reality is, um, the more you can be a part, I think, and we'll talk a little bit about that parenting plan, the more you can participate and embrace the, how things are going to be, I think it's better for you and your family versus the court entering an order that's going to be, I mean, it's, you know, when you say cookie cutter, I mean, it is, uh, I mean, we have standard orders here. And if you're not going to work together to craft a plan that maybe meets your family's needs, um, you're going to get that cookie cutter and you're kind of stuck with it, right? And it doesn't really help um, meet the unique needs of the family or desires that might truly be in everyone's best interest. Well, you're really basically asking a stranger to make decisions about your children's lives. Like the judge exactly. doesn't, the judge doesn't love your children. The judge doesn't know what your kids <laughs> need, but you do, you know? And so mm -hmm. it really the most power you're ever going to have in this process is when we can, you know, sit down and find some way to negotiate this, to, you know, engage with professionals that will guide us in a child-centered way. And we really want to keep kids at the center of this process, not in the middle. Yes. And then ultimately, I think, which there's so much to talk about, but um, <laughs> and we have the whole show. I know we're almost at the first place, but I wanted to ask you that because how do you help, you know, what are some things that you do say to, to the individuals you're working with, because if you can take that approach and it's child-centered and we're really thinking about the best interest of the children and remove from your thought process, he's getting that and I'm losing out on this, right? Like it's a him, somebody else is winning, you're losing versus we're trying to remove that and keep it on the children. What is some helpful advice on that you might have? Well, I think, one of the really important questions that I encourage parents to think about is that when your children look back on this time in their lives, what will you have done to make them proud? Mm -hmm. What do you want 
the outcome of their, what do you want the outcome to be for your children at the end of this? What do you want life to look like for them a year from now, five years from now? What are they going to remember about their wedding or their graduation, right? That's really what we're talking about is, Mm -hmm. you know, instead of really focusing on, and again, let's, let's get rid of that mentality of winners and losers, right? Because the truth is when a divorce happens, everybody loses something, right? There really aren't any winners. And so the best option is how do you redefine life for you and your kids? And the way you do that is by engaging in a process, by making choices, by thinking not just about the immediate moment, but thinking about the future and what you want it to look like. And how will your choices today impact your children's tomorrow? Well, I I love that. And I think that is great advice. Although I... The name of the show, and we're about to take a break, is Women Winning Divorce, because I do think that everybody can win in the divorce and things change. You know, mm-hmm. things that we are, the relationships change, but you can still win if we really focus on not anyone losing, when uh, we focus on achieving objectives. But most importantly, what we're talking about today, how do we allow the children to win? And I think there are ways to do that and make it a difficult process, but still can be a positive. But we got to take our first break, and then we're going to be back with Christina McGee. Um, and as we are on our break, listeners, please take a moment to leave us a review to help other women find us here at Women Winning Dreams. And we will be right back. We are back from our break. And again, today I am joined by Christina McGee, and we're discussing how you can build an effective parenting plan. And I'm really excited about this because, Christina, I have been through so many mediations, so many cases for years. Of course, when we first started, there was no such thing as a parenting plan. And now there is. And I think by its name, it, it really suggests, hey, this is a plan. This is something you can put some thought into and really provide you with a roadmap, a guide for mm-hmm. your family. But I'd love your input um, and expertise, Christina, on you know, how, how do you help people build an effective plan? What things do they need to be thinking about? Sure. Well, I have a little bit of a different take on parenting plans than most, right? Because in a lot of family court systems, parenting plans basically focus on how are we spending time with kids? How are we going to divvy that up, right? Who's paying mm-hmm. what to whom? Right. <laughs> how are we handling holidays? Yeah. How are we deciding vacations and summer plans? Um, and who's making decisions, right? And, And for many, that's kind of the scope of the parenting plan. But from my perspective, we want to step away from those kind of cookie cutter plans, you know, saying we're going to fit our children's lives into this plan and instead craft a plan that fits our children's lives. And so for me, the starting place of parenting plans is, again, really asking ourselves um, that question of what needs to change and what needs to stay the same. What is it that our kids need? Because even though your your relationship has changed, your children's needs haven't. Everything that your children needed before the divorce, they're going to continue to need after the divorce. So I think that parents can use a parenting plan, like you said, as a roadmap, right? We're going to map out how do we want this process? How do we want to handle this big change in the family? Um, what is it going to look like for our kids? How are we going to support one another's relationship? What do we need to do in terms of allocating time so children can continue to maintain an active and engaged relationship with each of us? What did life look like before the divorce? 
You know, how are we spending time with our kids? You know, for example, if, if Bridget went to Girl Scouts with mom every Tuesday, how can we make sure that continues? You know, if dad was coaching soccer for Billy, well, shouldn't that continue? So how are we going to do those things? And also, how are we going to plan for the future? What happens when the kids get sick? Who's going to pick them up? How are we going to cover that? How are we going to decide about extracurricular activities or what kind of values do we have? What kind of values do we want to instill in our kids? And what is that going to look like moving forward? Well, that does sound way more than a cookie cutter and, and so powerful, though, for conversation. And I am guessing these are some of the things that you present, bring to the table in, in you know, whether it's, is that, is that more appropriate in your courses or in, you know, do you work with individual couples trying to go through this process? Well, so I actually train professionals and how to use a child-centered approach. So I'm a divorce coach by trade, and I have a small select practice. More often than not, the clients that are finding me are ones where the wheels have come off. They're dealing with really complicated, difficult situations like a parent that has mental health issues or child rejections going on. Um, kids are not adjusting well. There's high conflict. And I have you know a parent that's really struggling, right, mm -hmm. to really keep it about the kids and how do I handle these situations. Some parents come to me in very early stages and from the get-go, they've decided they want to do this differently. And so they want, and you know, they want coaching and insight on how do we approach this first conversation? How do we manage this transition from one home to two? What can we do in terms of designing a parenting plan? I will say that the vast majority though, I mean, in terms of how the parenting plan is handled, they're relying, parents are relying on the expertise of the professionals that they engage with, whether they're family lawyers or mediators or divorce coaches or therapists, right? And I really look at all those people as being first responders to divorce. And they have the ability to really significantly influence how this process unfolds for families. You know, they can be a very positive influence and ask a lot of the questions that we're talking about. And so that's why I chose to train professionals about using a child-centered approach, regardless of their discipline or how they're engaging with parents, they can adopt these philosophies and really give guidance and educational support to parents. And that's what the co-parenting specialist certification training program is that I designed. So professionals come together in a multidisciplinary um, course that is spans over four days and really learn about, you know, how does divorce impact kids? Mm -hmm. What are the emotional stages? Um, how does it, how is it different for kids depending on their age and stage of development? That makes a very big difference in how you're planning, you know, for a kid that's 13 versus a kid that's three. So I provide that information and I really encourage parents to look for professionals that can align with your values, with what you want to achieve, um, that can really help guide you during a time when the emotions are really high, right? Um, gosh, we're super stressed. And we need somebody who can kind of step outside that process, who's not emotionally engaged and really give us, you know, the insight and the perspective we need, can ask us those really important questions that are going to put those issues in front of us in those early stages. Now, when I think, um, I think that's, that's great because and it's, it's getting a different way to look at it and being open, but I think first and foremost, obviously child-centered and, and really wanting to say, hey, we're going to, 
put those at the top of the list and then work downward. But, you know, so many, a lot of people think parenting plan and immediately assume just what you're saying, um, that the time sharing is going to be 50-50. Now, do you think that 50-50 assumption is fair or true? Well, I'm not a huge proponent of 50-50, <laughs> as you might guess. And here's why. Because I don't think it's a very realistic option, mm-hmm. right? Um, because, look, I've been married for almost 29 years. My husband and I have never spent 50-50 time with our kids, right? I mean, sometimes right. it's 70-30, one mm-hmm. direction. Sometimes it's, you know, 80-20, the other direction. Just depending on what's going on with our children, what their needs are what I have going on, what he has going on. Like, really, it's not a, a very realistic option. And I think when parents get really caught up in this idea of 50-50, what we're talking about more often than not is how are we keeping it fair? And what feels fair for parents doesn't usually feel so great for kids, right? And when we treat time with children like a commodity that needs to be divvied up, kids tend to internalize that and they right. start monitoring. How am I keeping things fair and equal? Mm. Am I being, you know, is it fair? Is it even? And so then that increases their level of anxiety because they're always wondering that they might really want to have their birthday at mom's house one year. But is that really fair to dad? I don't want to hurt dad's feelings. And so kids start worrying and tending more to parents' emotional needs yeah. than their own. And so I really think if we can drop percentages and really get down to the business of what do our kids need? How is how can we spend time in a flexible and fluid way? The other piece of that is you can spend all your time and energy crafting the perfect time sharing arrangement, whether it's 50-50 or 60-40. And guess what? Six months from now, things may change for your kids. And what happens when that plan isn't working anymore and your kids need something else? Mm-hmm. I think that is some great insight. Unfortunately, um, the legislature and the court system here in Florida doesn't look at it that way um, at all. And, and that is, I think, a shortcoming in, in, in many areas of family law because the flexibility part from that legal standpoint, you know, the courts have, you know, they got to give you some rules. And, but they don't even start with that approach of the, you know, how much time do everybody have or spend, and it does vary. Um, and so that's, that's unfortunate because it makes a lot of sense. And if our system tended to be more like that, I think then it would allow for, you know, decisions and schedules to be based more on the children um, than the way it is now, which is divvying it up so that they they say, depending on who the court judge is, um, so that the children have equal time with the parents, but it's all in an effort to make the parents, you know, have close to equal time, which again, fair, and I really like that analogy you made. And then, you know, the other side of it, which it really shouldn't be, but it is in Florida, is that it, it reflects the money and the support um, mm-hmm. for the children. And so it gets very intertwined and sometimes in an effort to change the money, reduce the money, there's more time given and it gets all out of whack and nothing's clear and intelligent is what you just said, frankly. Um, But, and that's not so much more therapeutic, right? That we're really thinking about the kids, but um, 
I don't, I don't think that's really the way that our laws here approach it, unfortunately. Well, I, and, and I'm curious, you know, because I imagine Florida might be like lots of other places, is that if parents can come to a different agreement and present a reasonable plan to the court, you know, is the court willing to consider that? I mean, a lot of it has to do with in the beginning stages. If we can't agree, guess what? Somebody's going to make those decisions for us. And that's when the court comes in and says, no. We're going to do it this way. This is what's fair. This is what's equitable. This is what the statute says. But if you can work with your family lawyer or you can work with a mediator, you can find some way to negotiate agreement that you feel is in your best, your children's best interest. Then you have a lot of options. And, and I will tell you, you're absolutely right. In the beginning stages, when those emotions kick in, sometimes we need rules, right? We need that structure. But it also doesn't have to stay that way. And a lot of times I will encourage parents to work with their family lawyer um, about building in a back door. And so that back door is, you know, if if we can't agree, if there are big changes in the future, what we will both do is seek out an opportunity to talk about it and try and work it out before we go to court. Right. And you can do that with your family lawyers. Um, you can do that with a mediator, you can do that with a therapist, you can do that with a divorce coach, but write that into your agreement that if things change and they're not working for the kids, here's what we do next. And so you put in kind of a stopgap so we don't have this repeat litigation where we keep coming back and trying to modify orders or we stay stuck in um, an unhelpful situation in an unhelpful parenting plan. Um, yeah, I think that um, that's a wonderful idea. And in cases where it's already been high conflict uh, through the proceedings, we try to put that in there and encourage that, that, you know, before you file, you're going to agree to mediate. You can have your lawyer, you know, with your mediating with your lawyers or them going with you to a mediator. But as an effort to try to get a resolution before filing so that it's just not always filing things in court. Um, and I think that's really helpful. And yes, just to answer or to comment on your um, comment that yes, the parents can work together and have a parenting plan. The court will pretty much, I would say 95% of the time sign off on it. There used to be some, you know, some judges who wouldn't, who would still say that's not in the best interest of the children, but most of them have retired by now and recognize that can't put themselves in the place of two parents who've come to an agreement, right, on what they believe is the best interest of the children. They're the ones that, you know, are the closest uh, and should decide that. Um, so that can be really helpful. And I think that is where, you know, what you do and teach and help people understand that there can be another way. And it's a mindset shift too, though, I think that on a, on a higher level, like, this isn't about who's winning time or who's getting more money. This is really how are we going to work this for our children so that they are the most successful and flourish through this process, right? Right. And I think you bring up a really important point, and that is, is that not all cases are the same, right? <laughs> you know, you are going to have, again, that 10%, those really high intractable conflict cases where, yeah, you might have to depend on the court to make a decision for you. And in those cases, then you work with what you've got and you do the very best that you can. And I would encourage parents in those situations to think about plugging into some support so that you don't you don't allow the other parents' actions 
to guide how you show up for your kids, right? That's a, that's a separate issue. It doesn't matter what the other yes. parent does or doesn't do. It's about how you want to show up. Exactly. Which is, it's so true. And I, I have said this many times, you know, we can't control others, but we can control how we react and we can really look at that and change what we have the power to change with ourselves, which we are going to talk about in the third second segment on, on co-parenting when maybe you aren't that cooperative with the co-parent. So um, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we will be right back listeners. So please subscribe so you don't miss an episode of Women Winning Divorce. And we will be right back. We are back from our last break. And again, today I am joined by Christina McGee. And we're discussing what to do if your co-parent isn't co-parenting. Oh, this is going to be the best segment. I'm telling you, Christina, <laughs> and all listeners, you better turn this up now because if I've heard this question once, I have heard it a million times. And I cannot wait for Christina's answers for this because, and, and obviously lawyers are going to see more high conflict because there are a lot of people who amicably resolve things. And sometimes with just one lawyer, sometimes we're not even involved. And so we see what seems like a lot of my conflict, but I know that's not everything that's out there. But, you know, Christina, um, you've talked about this in your book. And I just think that if you could describe to our listeners first, what high conflict co-parenting refers to. Right. Well, there's a lot of ways to define it. <laughs> you know, I think for most parents, they know it when they see it. Um, <laughs> And, and you're usually high conflict is um, a situation and it can exist in a number of different ways. The two main ways are one where you have both parents that are really contributing. It's kind of the he said, she said dynamic, you know, we're both trying to control each other and um, and just dig in our heels. And there's a lot of polarization, right? A lot of strong perspectives and opinions. Um, and it's really about trying to control each other. And then there's another level another aspect of conflict where you have one parent who really does want to focus on the children, really does want to get along, wants to minimize the conflict as much as possible, but you have another parent who's in it to win it, right? Mm -hmm. And they're just not going to give any ground um, no matter how hard you try. And it exists in lots of ways. It can be very subtle, you know, where a parent says, well, if you're showing up to the soccer game, I won't. I'm not going to be in the same, I'm not going to share the same space as you. Um, I had a parent one time told me he absolutely refused to breathe in the same air as the other parent, right? So it can get very, very intense. Um, yes. You know, parents not acknowledging each other at events or uh, dropping kids off at the end of the driveway and they have to walk up themselves to the door to all out brawls. I mean, there's so many ways it can manifest. Mm -hmm. um, and it And it can be really, really difficult. A lot of my work is about supporting that parent who wants to step away from the conflict. You know, what can I do to change things? And unfortunately, a lot of parents fall in the trap of thinking that, you know, well, if they do that, then I need to do this. It becomes this tit for tat mentality. And so right. it's about how do we break that cycle mm -hmm. and um, take control of what we can control, which is our, how we respond, the attitude that we maintain, how we process things with our kids, the choices that we make, um, essentially really getting very, and this is probably one of my top tips for parents in those kind of situations is that you need to get real clear about what your co-parenting values are. What kind of parent do you want to be for your children, regardless of what the other parent does or doesn't do? 
really getting very clear and defining that. And in my book, I talk about creating for yourself a guiding principle, which is basically a one to two sentence statement that articulates what those co-parenting values are. And you can create one together jointly, or you can create one for yourself, you know? So regardless of how I feel about the other parent, I'm going to make sure that my children know that they are loved and cared for and they have an active and engaged, you know, relationship with both of us. It could be that simple, right? But articulating that co-parenting value, you can use it. It's really like you're crafting your North Star because when times get tough, right? And you need to be reminded, like, what is most important? What do you value? That can come in enormously handy in those moments. And so when you're facing a difficult decision, asking yourself, you know, what's my value about this? How do I want to show up for my kids? I don't know. Is my decision, is my choice and how I handle this, is it going to make things better? Is it going to make things incredibly worse for my kids? You know, what is going to be the outcome? I wonder how this feels for my kids. Um, and so by engaging in kind of that thinking process and that kind of commitment on the front end, it can make a big difference mm -hmm. in shaping, you know, how you handle some of these situations. Yeah, I think, and you know, sometimes I think um, being able to maybe recognize the pattern and I know, you know, and I've explained, of course, to clients over the years, you know, your reaction, you know, he gets a reaction, which then creates another reaction and it's just in the dance. But if you opt out or you show up in a different way, it may or may, but it's going to change at some point, at least maybe change the way you feel and, and the anger that maybe comes with you when you're in it like that, because it's hard Conflict is conflict. And it mostly, right. even though I know some people, it seems feed off it because they're getting something out of it, you know, whatever that is, uh, it's feeding something for them. But it usually, I think, can wear you out. It's exhausting and it takes so much energy to be angry all the time and fighting. And if you can, you know, even if you say, let's just try it for a month, just try like doing the opposite of what you normally do and just kind of changing that pattern, that dance it's bound to change and hopefully for the better, um, right? But at least for that person who is gonna say, I'm not gonna participate in the same way with mm -hmm. this tit for tat, like you said, or he did this, so I've gotta do that. And you know that may give you more peace. And I think our children see that if you find a way to get more peace with, even if they continue their behavior. Oh, absolutely. And I, I give parents the analogy of managing conflict like playing tug of war, right? You each, you know, have one end of the rope, right? And you have a choice. They pull, you can pull back. But what happens if you drop the rope? Exactly. Right? So we all have kind of this history, like you said, this dance that mm -hmm. we do, right. this way of being, the way of making decisions, the way of disagreeing, arguing, trying to control situations. And the first step is, right, identifying our co-parenting values. But we also have to have a level of awareness about what is the pattern, right? right? Where are we getting triggered? Where are we reacting instead of responding? And so what do we need to do to interrupt that process, to introduce a new step into the dance, um, to drop the rope? And a lot of times that requires having um, some perspective right? Which in the moment is really difficult to get. And that's where I really feel one of the defining differences between families that get through this process well, and those that struggle for years 
has to do with having access to information, good information and support. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to see the picture when you're in the frame, but how can you find someone who's outside the frame of your life that can give you some insight and perspective? And it may be a trusted friend. It may be an experienced family lawyer. It may be a therapist or a coach, right? Mm -hmm. Someone that can, who's not emotionally in it, who can give you some perspective about recognizing those steps, recognizing those patterns, and then help you connect with tools to change up the steps. And I think that's so important. And and I think that's where that therapeutic part and that coach, you know, comes into play because you may recognize that you you don't like this pattern, you don't like the stance, but you don't know. You don't have necessarily the tools that available to you to how to change. You know, you want to, and I think that's kind of exactly what you're talking about. These are the kind of people that, you know, you can work with because they know they want to change this, but they don't know how. They're not really sure and they need someone to equip them with the tools and the ability to recognize things without reacting, like recognize something instead of reacting, some better tools with which to respond and, um, and manage their emotions. And again, you know, keeping their children at the, um, at the forefront of why you're doing this. Uh, right. Well, none of this is all. easy. I mean, we can talk about it all day long, but when it comes mm-hmm. down to it, this is really, really hard. It's complicated. It takes a lot mm-hmm. of effort and a lot of dedication and a lot of commitment. Um, and it so, really does. Yes. It's easy to say, but it's so hard to do because one history, the relationship, the past that gets into all of it. And then just your heart with your children and yeah, it gets caught up in all of it for sure. But, but it can be done and it's usually worth, I think, would you would agree for sure. Um, because it's your children and their future and what they experience when you're in the middle of such conflict, even after the divorce. Now we sometimes, well, and often the court orders it, um, as a co-parenting assistance, I guess, device, you know, the, all these apps, um, we have like our family wizard. I know there's parent ship and we parent are options that I think allow those types of situations. A, I don't know, maybe more of a neutralized way with which to communicate. Um, do you find those to be helpful at all? Well, I recommend parents regularly. You know, if you can, you know, agree to use a co-parenting app, I think it's super helpful. And for other reasons, in addition to kind of structuring the communication, but parenting in general, tracking, you know, kids, raising kids, complicated process is not for the faint of heart, right? (laughs) And so um, now you're doing it out of two households. If you use a co-parenting app, it's a way to streamline your communication. It puts everything in one place because let's face it, you know, we've got texting, voicemails, emails. We've got all these different ways to share information. We can message each other through Facebook or Instagram, right? And so with a co-parenting app, you've got everything in one place. It, you know, it allows us for more clarity of communication. And a lot of these apps have lots of great added benefits like calendars and ways to share information about the doctor bill that needs to be paid or the dentist appointment, or can we swap weekends, um, sharing pictures of the kids, you know, all that can be an added benefit. So I, I believe that co-parenting apps are definitely an asset for parents. And even if you're not in a situation where you have super high conflict, 
I still think it can be very beneficial because it just makes managing those two households a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. I think you're right. And, you know, I think um, as a parent of, of all teenagers, well, I guess one, one of my child, one of my, my oldest is no longer a teenager, but close enough. But, um, you know, sometimes they just text one parent instead of both and, you know, they're playing <laughs> and, and, and we're together in the same house. So kids are really smart and they're working towards their advantage. And, you know, we know that and we're together. So when you're not, they see an opening and see an opportunity, um, which I do think is just a normal part of being teenagers. They're going to see it like, oh, hey, I can work this angle and say, well, mom said, sure, I can do this. Even, you know, and then if, if there's no communication, right. then, you know, maybe you're allowing things to happen at your house. That, well, that's really not what's going on over there. But you two are talking and haven't really agreed on maybe some boundaries for your teenagers, right? That's very different if we're co-parenting elementary school children. But then once you get into that phase, it, that could be, it's so important just to have, you know, try to have some at least agreed upon values and structures that we're both going to try. It's not easy. It's not perfect, but we're going to try to maintain to get these children to adulthood. Right. And I, I think kids will absolutely pick up whether they're three or 13 when yeah. parents aren't communicating with each other. You know, any self-respecting kid is going to try and leverage that. That's yeah. just, that's our job is to test the limits. And so mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important for parents not to put kids in the driver's seat when it comes to communicating, you know, so how can we figure out how we're going to exchange information with each other? And you know what, part of the, I mean, being a good parent doesn't mean that you do everything exactly the same and you are completely yeah. in sync. Sometimes. It's about agreeing to disagree. Like we just know we see this particular issue differently and we have different ways of handling that. You know, we each bring different strengths to the parenting relationship with our kids. And so it's also about being clear about that and being flexible and not, you know, really casting judgment <laughs> or mm. criticizing one another, but just accepting different as different. And when kids, you know, know what to expect from each parent in each household, they can manage those differences really easily. But a lot of it has to do with how we're handling the differences. Yes, I think so. And I think, again, just like you said, they know when you two haven't talked, right? And so I got, you know, my money to go out over here, but they don't know that. So, oh, hey, I need my, you know, whatever allowance to go here or there. And that's something very innocent, but still. It's um, they know how to work it, and that's their job to to keep everybody on their toes, particularly their parents. But um, Christina, this has been amazing. I I'm so so appreciate you being on our show today. I think this is great advice, and I really um, really appreciate it. Um, but before we go, lastly, um, I always ask our guests this question, and I'm wondering if you can impart on our listeners what you've learned about divorce and and how, um, and empowering women throughout your career and um, what you could maybe shed some light on, give them some tips of wisdom before we go. Right. Um, so probably the biggest lesson that I've learned is that the only thing that's constant in life is change, right? And so right now, your circumstances might not be ideal, but understand that that is for now. Those two words have become really important words to me, right? I don't like the way things are right now, 
right? I wish my co-parent was more cooperative. I wish my children had a different time sharing arrangement. I wish, you know, if only like we can engage in all that kind of thinking. But the important thing I think to stay focused on is that that may be the way it is for now. Lots of things can change. And so really, again, put your energy into what you have control over, not what you can't control. Um, and you will fare far better through this process. Well, that than is by staying stuck, right? There you go. Right. Because, yeah, stuck is just stuck and got to got to move forward. Um, so you're not drug drug for you want to be a part of that process. But we've reached the end of our show. And thank you so much, Christina, for being with us today. Um, this has been great, great information. And for our listeners, you can find Christina's website, divorceandchildren.com and her book, Parenting Apart is available on Amazon. We will make sure those links, both of them are in the show notes. So please check those out uh, after you've listened to this. And if you or someone you know is going through a divorce or is thinking about a divorce, of course, reach out to us at floridawomenslawgroup.com. And also for any of you in that same um, same situation, uh, look to our Facebook group, which is Women Winning Divorce. It's a wonderful community that it gives you a safe space to go through um, this challenging time and if some of you are already through it uh you can really help out some of the other members who are a little earlier in the process and the link will be below in the episode show notes also please leave us a five-star review and thank you for listening thank you for joining me for this episode of women winning divorce my goal is to elevate your life and the way you are thinking so that you are best equipped to win at life if you enjoy the show please subscribe so you automatically get my new shows every week and I would love to hear from you personally. Come join the conversation on social and join our Facebook group, Women Winning Divorce. We welcome your comments and suggestions. We want to bring you content that helps move your life forward. Women Winning Divorce is the place for an elevated conversation on how women can thrive during times of adversity in order to live their best life.